Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, Today we're going to be continuing our series, Kings and Prophets. Uh, I'm excited to share with you today. But before we do that, uh, Nathan mentioned that he's our new tech and media director, but they are an awesome couple, him and his wife, Tracy. Tracy was playing the keys this morning. Uh, they are very talented people, and we're glad to have on board, but not uh, more than talent. They're just awesome people to get to know. So we hope that over the next few weeks, as they're getting acclimated here, you'll get uh, a chance to get to know them and uh, welcome them to our church family. We're glad to have them here. And um, he's also really handsome, so, uh, but taken. So no, I'm just kidding. Love you, Nathan. You're awesome. Um, anyways, today we're going to be continuing our series, Kings and Prophets. So if you want to turn to the book of uh, 1 Kings, chapter 3, we're going to get there in just a little bit. Um, talking about King Solomon, over the past few weeks, we uh, ha- have been talking about King David and his son, King Solomon, is where we're picking up uh, today. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to say uh, thank you to all of you as as our church, our church family, uh, a number of the things that we do in the summer that Nathan just announced have to do with, with kids and, and youth. And I just want to say how much of a privilege it is to be a part of a church, much less uh, be the pastor over uh, of the, the youth and the kids of a church that takes so seriously preaching uh, to and raising up the next generation to, to, to claim real faith uh, as their own. It's such a privilege to, to be a part of, of a church that is generous, uh, that is kind, that, that uh, mentors young people, that, that, that works so hard to see the next generation uh, one for Christ. It's, it, Pastor Paul often says that we are a, a multi-generational church with an emphasis uh, on future generations, that we want people of all ages to come here and, and make sure that the gospel continues into generation after generation after generation, even here in our own community. And I just want to say thank you because that wouldn't happen uh, without all of you. It can't just come from, from a few people that step on a stage and say that we're going to pour into young people, but it comes through your guys' serving, through your guys' generosity and events that we do, uh, your faithful giving. And so we're so thankful uh, for you uh, doing that for our younger generations. And I was reminded recently that um, I am about to move up a generation. I was recently playing some basketball with a couple of our youth students, one of them a senior high student and one of them a junior high student. Uh, we were playing a game uh, that heavily relied on rebounding, um, and so a height is clearly an advantage. Um, and uh, of course, I won. Uh, don't you know, I, just, I, I don't lose. Um, when, when, I'm playing, when, when I'm playing youth students, I, I, I don't take it easy. Um, never lost in ping pong, never lost in basketball. Um, at least that's what I'll tell you. So uh, anyways, I was playing a couple of, of our youth students in, in a game of basketball, uh, and um, I won the game, and I'm not lying this time. I won the game, and we walk inside, and we're all, we're all tired because we've been playing. And I was encouraging the, the junior high student, like, hey, man, don't, don't worry. In, in a few years, you'll be, you'll be able to beat me and the senior high student because you'll be, you'll be a foot and a half taller. And, and, uh, and the senior high student and I, we're, we're going to be old. And he goes, well, not so much him, but you. <laughs> Ouch. So uh, there's my reminder. I'm only in my lower 20s, but I'm, I'm already, like, <laughs> approaching the you're not cool anymore stage. So um, pray for me um, <laughs> as the youth pastor to these kids. Anyways, um, 
Anyway, seriously, thank you so much for, for investing in our youth. It's such a privilege to be a part of a, a church that does that, and we're thankful for it. So anyways, um, we're continuing our series uh, with King Solomon. And many of you may be familiar with the story of King Solomon. It's particularly unique in, in the, the whole Bible. I, I, I don't know of another story that rivals it that's, that's so similar to it. Because there, there's nobody likes Solomon. In God's words specifically, he said that there's going to be nobody like you in a number of different areas. Uh, there's also an experience or two that Solomon has that is different than anyone else's experience that nobody else gets the privilege of having. And one of those um, is, is a story that maybe you're familiar with where, where God shows up to him and says, one thing you want, Solomon, you name it and you can have it. And so uh, maybe some of you, if you follow me on Instagram, you notice that on, on my story, my Instagram story this week, I posted a, a poll question um, asking for responses. If you got one wish, what, what could you ask for? And I've learned that as a, as a kid's pastor, um, fill in the blanks or answer this question is a great gift uh, because you get some great answers out of especially young children because they haven't learned like the, the social politeness that's required uh, to answer these in, in, in a, a classy way or, or whatever it may be. And I, I mean, I, I could go on and on about a number of different ones, um, like things like, what's your mom's favorite thing to do? Take a nap. And it's like, oh, ouch, happy Mother's Day. That card's going home. One, one of them was like, I remember specifically, it was Father's Day. What's your dad's favorite thing to do? And it was spank mom. And I'm like, whoa. I, <laughs> all right. But anyways, you, you see what I'm saying? That these fill-in-the-blank questions, I don't even want to know what happened there, like why that's his favorite thing. But... <laughs> Fill in the blank questions are, are, are such a great gift, and there, I asked this and got a number of great responses. Here's a number of my favorites. Literally about 30 seconds after I posted this, um, this one came in, and it was a key to my heart, unlimited food uh, as one thing they, they wish they could have, the one wish that they had. Another one, a new car, a gold star. That one came from a child, like one wish you could have, a gold sticker, a gold star, uh, to see a rainbow. Um, there's always one of these uh, unlimited wishes. Like, okay, come on, play by the rules. I, I want unlimited wishes. That's, you get one. Just play by the rules. Always one of them. Uh, to know my future. Uh, good health for family and friends. For me and my family to always follow Jesus. Uh, an unlimited travel fund for my family. And this one, I don't know, it kind of bothers me. Um, because they're not playing by the rules. I mean, I guess it's true, but here's, here was their answer. Who needs wishes when we have unlimited prayer? It's like, of course we have prayer, but that's not the game. Play along, would you? But anyways, uh, to us, these, these um, wishes, one thing, and, and it'll be given to you, it seems Disney-like. It seems like, of course, we, we don't have to answer this question in a real manner, because we're never going to be presented with this situation. But I love to think about these things and, and get these fill-in-the-blank answers, because to Solomon, this was a, a reality. In First Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5 is where we're going to go in, a, in just a second, but it's the start of the reign of King Solomon, following King David. King David was his father, who the past couple of weeks we have referenced as he is a man after God's own heart. He faithfully served God. He repented from his sins uh, whenever he made them as king. He, he was uh, a faithful worshiper. He, he was faithful to God even when, when things were difficult. He was faithful to Saul even when Saul was trying to kill him. And David was this great man of God who God clearly loved and respected who clearly was a great servant of God. And King David, uh, his wife Bathsheba, he pulls her in one day and says that 
one of your sons will be sitting on the throne and Solomon is chosen. King Solomon, David's son, is chosen and, and he's a servant of God. And shortly before the story that we're going to read, David charges King Solomon as he's about to take over the throne and he says, follow God. Walk in obedience to his commandments. Act like a strong man, a strong leader, and just walk in obedience to the Lord. That's what David had realized through his time on the earth. And as he charges Solomon, as he takes over the kingdom, he says, walk in obedience to the Lord. Then chapter 3 comes around in verse 5, and this is where we're going to pick up here today. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant. My father David, because he was faithful to you, righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this, to this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in, in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that, the, that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but discernment in administering justice to the people, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there will never uh, so that there will never be, have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, a reminder of what his father David said, if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and realized that he had been dreaming. So as Solomon gets started in, in his kingship, his time of reign, he has this, like, like I said before, a Disney-like experience, something that we always think about or see in movies, but none of us have ever actually had happen to us. But Solomon gets this time where God himself approaches him in a dream and says, Solomon, one thing, you name it, it's yours at no cost to you. Maybe as, as, a, as a favor to King David, maybe because he knew that Solomon needed help. I don't know why God did this, but he said, Solomon, whatever you want, tell me, and it's yours. And out of a number of things that a king could have asked for, he could have asked for prosperity. He could have asked uh, for, as, as the Bible reference, as for the death of his enemies, for success for Israel. But he looks at God, he looks at his life, I think he looks back at his father David, and he looks back upon his life and says, God, you have been so kind to your servant, my father David. He grew up serving you, faithfully walking before you. He was faithful to you when things didn't look good. He was faithful to you when he was waiting to become a king, waiting to be, after he was anointed, <clears throat> all the days of his life. He was faithful to you. When he was wrong, he was quick to repent. He was quick to forgive. Even though he made mistakes, he was a good man. He walked in an uprightness of heart. He was righteous. And he looks at his own life and says, I, I don't know what I'm doing. 
He, he, he says that he, he looks back at David's life and realizes that when, when, they started, when David started as king or when David was anointed as king, Israel was living in disobedience to God, but David brought them into Israel's greatest times, greatest days. And Solomon says, who am I to be on the throne? And so he looks at his own heart and says, God, if you're going to offer me one thing, I just want a discerning heart. I want to be able to be, administer justice in a, in a way that is wise. I want to be able to take care of your people in a way that you desire to, just as my father did, because he was great. And I, I am, he says the words, I'm like a little child. And I, I take that as he doesn't quite know what he's doing, but says, God, if you're going to offer me one thing, let it be wisdom. And God loves that answer. It, it literally says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And because of this, he, he was promised that, Solomon, there will never be another one like you. There will never be anybody as wise as you. There will never be anyone who can discern like you can. There will never be another one who is, is prosperous like you are. And you didn't even ask for that, but because I'm so pleased with what you have asked, because you have cared for your people and not for yourself, I'm going to give you everything you did not ask for, prosperity, wealth, health. And, and, and so Solomon seems to be setting off on the right foot with God. Would you agree that, that, that Solomon, though he maybe in his own eyes seemed like a little child, he, God was pleased with him and was able to give him the grace and the wisdom that was necessary. And, and, and along with the reminder of God to, to uh, or, that he, or the, the telling of God that he, or telling from God, I'm, that, that there's never going to be another like you. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to be rich. You're going you're gonna to be wise. Along with that, a number of times, I counted five times in my reading through the book of First, First Kings and Solomon's life that God specifically comes to remind him, walk in obedience to me. Walk in faithfulness. Walk in, in my commandments. Follow my decrees, and I will give you a long, happy prosperous life. So not only does he get wisdom, but he is reminded constantly by God, consistently by God, you must walk according to my commands. And from there, Solomon goes on and he does prosper just as God has promised. He is rich. He lives in, in, in the Bible says the word splendor. He, 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 he has everything that he could want, all the finances he could ever want. Israel goes on uh, to build, under his rule, goes on to build uh, the temple that, that, that David had so badly wanted to build because now was the time according to God. It took him over the course of 13 years, they built a temple. They built a palace. Solomon is prospering. Israel is prospering. And, and day after day, week after week, month after month, more and more people are coming to just glean from the wisdom of Solomon and learn from what he is taking from God. He's writing things down and that's kept in the book of Proverbs. He's, he's uh, speaking to, to queens of rich nations and, and, and kings of other nations. And God sa as God said, there is nobody that is like him. All these amazing great nations that are known worldwide at the time are coming to meet with Solomon because they are in awe of him and his splendor and all that he has gained for himself. Verse, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 talk about him uh, building the temple that, that Israel had been waiting on to house God's presence. And he, ha he has this prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 that I want to read to you today. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon is, this is after the 13 years. This is after the completion of the temple and the royal palace. And they, he hosts a dedication to say, God, we welcome your presence. 
into this building, God. We, we, we want this to be your house. This is where we want you to dwell. We've made all this out of reverence and love and respect for you. They have a dedication service, and there's a whole chapter filled with uh, preparation. There's a whole chapter filled with his prayer. And the last bit of the prayer is what I want to read today because I believe it pertains to what Solomon's whole life message is about. It's the end of his prayer of dedication, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. He says this, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to the people of Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all of the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors, and may he never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and to keep the commands, the decrees, and the laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine which have been prayed before the Lord be near to our Lord, our God, day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need. So that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is the one true God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and to obey his commands at this very time. This is, I think, a beautiful prayer. He he prays over the building. He welcomes the presence of God. And to close it out, he says, God, you've been so great to our ancestors. All the days of Israel's life, we have seen you at work. Now do not depart from us here. Be with us here. Draw us close to you. All these things that we prayed over the building, God, may that prayer be near to your heart. And may your commands and your laws and your teachings and the way that we are supposed to live, may that be close to my heart. And listen to the people. People, listen to this. You must also be fully, wholeheartedly committed to God. Follow him. I think that's a a beautiful prayer. A beautiful way to to welcome a new era of of this temple, this beautiful thing that God was going to dwell in for the ages for Israel. And I find it interesting also that in the very next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 9, is the second time that God shows up to Solomon. This happens in 1 Kings chapter 8. The very next chapter, not more than a few verses later, 1 Kings chapter 9, Verse 1 is this, when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and achieved all he had desired and set out to do, the Lord appeared to him again a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon earlier. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, Solomon, walk before me, or if you walk before me faithfully, with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all that I have commanded and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never to have, never fail to have a successor on the throne. But... If you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel then will become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And I find it so interesting that this is when God appears to him a second time. The first time, a beautiful encounter with Solomon, whatever you want, have it. 
wisdom. Yes, you can have it, and I'll give you prosperity, and I'll give you the keys to my kingdom. Everything that you want and everything that you did and didn't ask for is yours. He goes on to see great prosperous times, and he leads the people well successfully, at least in the eyes of, of the Israelite people. They're continuing on with their best times. And the second time, right after Solomon prays to dedicate the temple, God appears to him again, and almost word for word repeats what what Solomon had just prayed. Solomon prayed, let us, Lord, let us have the commands of God near to our heart. Let us always walk in uprightness. Let us always follow your commands, your teachings, and your decrees. And God appears to him this time and says, hey, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And as long as you continue to serve me, my eyes will ever be on you, will ever be on the Israelite people, and my eyes and my heart will always be with this temple. I accept your work. I'm thankful for it. My presence will always be there. And then he addresses him personally and says, Solomon, as for you, walk faithfully before me. Obey all that I have commanded you. Walk in obedience. Walk in uprightness of heart. Walk in integrity as your father did. And if you do that, you will always have a prosperous nation. You will always have an heir to the throne coming from your family. So long as you just follow me. Follow my commands, follow my teachings. It's as almost as if, first of all, God knew that that prayer wasn't, almost wasn't sincere, that it was practiced. You see, over the, the course of the life of Solomon, I said I counted five times that he was reminded, walk in obedience, obey the commands of the Lord. That was from David, his father, that was over and over again from, from God. He got this, God speaking to him that you need to obey me. And the theme of his life seems to be obey, obey, obey. And as he's closing his prayer, he prays it. But I wonder if God knows that he doesn't mean it. Because a couple chapters later, we're going to get to it in just a second, he, he turns out to not walk in obedience, to not walk faithfully to God. And God, on, the, on the, the coattails of his prayer, dedicating this temple in a very public moment, saying, we will walk in obedience to you and we wholeheartedly will follow you, God comes to Solomon and says, hey, Solomon, just a reminder, once again, faithfully walk before me, obey my commands. It's a broken record in Solomon's life. And specifically, he goes at one sin. I need you to not let yourself or the people bow to worship or offer things to other gods. It's almost as if God knew, right? He's, he's wiser than we are. He's smarter than we are. And, and Solomon goes on in chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it says. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, his wife, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not marry, intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. A specific command again from God, surely do not do this. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely, as his father, David, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Can you tell from the wording of the Bible that God was not a fan of these gods? 
He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared before him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, specifically Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear away the kingdom from you and give it to one of your subordinates. So Solomon falters and, and, and fails. Despite all that he's seen in his life, despite specific visitations from his father, God, despite a perfect, not perfect, but a great example from his father, David, walk in obedience. Obedience is what you need to do. Solomon, follow me. Follow my commands. Follow my decrees. Follow my teachings. Despite all of that, he still pulled away by what he held to more dearly than God, his wife's. And his wives, as God promised, said, they will surely turn you away. And sure enough, God was right. Who would have thought? God, God is right. And he, they, they turn Solomon to other gods and he worships them and he builds altars for them with his, with his wealth and with his prosperity. And he falters and fails. And this is what makes Solomon a tough story to preach because with King David you have this, this massive failure but on the heels of the massive failure is, is an encounter with, with God, an encounter from, from a prophet that says you need to repent and David says absolutely Nathan you are correct, I need, I need to repent. With Solomon we get no such thing. What we hear of Solomon is that he falters and fails and he worships other gods he worships these idols that God clearly was not a fan of and later that chapter or another chapter later, he, he dies. And Israel continues on with another king. And maybe he learned from it, maybe we, he didn't, but we don't see this incredible repentance story where he comes back to God and says, God, absolutely, you are right. I dedicate the rest of my life to living in your commands. And so this is a difficult story to preach because what do we really gain from Solomon's life? What do we see? He's not an example of what we should follow. But I think the theme of his life, as we said, is walk in obedience to me, time and time again, he's reminded to follow God's law by his father David, or by his, by his father David and by his father in heaven, our God. And, and I wonder why that is, or I wondered why that is, and through study, I think that it's because an unguarded strength or gift, even from God, can be a weakness. An unguarded strength or gift, even if it, even if it comes from the most high God, the perfect God. If, it, if we leave it unguarded, unwatched, uncared for, it becomes a weakness because I think that's exactly what happened with Solomon. Clearly, he sets off on the right foot with God. God would not give an enemy one thing he asked for. God would not give an enemy something that he didn't ask for, prosperity and wealth. Clearly, he set off on the right foot with God when he said, God, give me wisdom. And God says, you can have wisdom and you can also have what you did not ask for, prosperity and wealth and a long life. As long as you just follow me, there will never be another one like you. He sets off with God on the right foot, but when he falters and fails, it's because he left his strength, his, his gift from God. Unguarded. You see, his, his ask for wisdom brought prosperity because people were amazed with it. 
God allowed uh, the, the kingdom to prosper because time after time, kings and queens from other nations, people from other nations would come to just sit under the teaching of Solomon, learn from him, hear what he had to say, all of the wise teachings that are recorded, and, and probably some that even are not recorded in the Bible. All of these amazing teachings that Solomon has he has this wisdom that is unlike anybody else. He has prosperity unlike anything else. And the prosperity brings a temptation for him, I believe, to think, you know what? We're all right. Which is where that prayer comes in, where he kind of goes through the motions and prays, God, allow us to walk in obedience to you. And just a few short chapters later, he fails and falters at the very thing he asked God to help him and all the Israelites to do. His faith got casual. He, he, he left his, his gift, the thing that God had so graciously given to him, he left it unguarded. And when wisdom brings prosperity, and prosperity tempted him with casual faith, and his casual faith brought in corruption. His casual faith tempted him with corruption, and when he held more tightly to his wives and the things that God did not, or commanded specifically for him not to do, he held more tightly to that than he did to his own God. That's when he's corrupt, that's when he falters, that's when he fails. And I look at this pattern from wisdom to prosperity to, to temptation of casual faith, and from casual faith to corruption. I, wisdom and prosperity are not the things that are evil. We follow this pattern, wisdom and prosperity are good things, specifically gifts from God, but when things start to sour and go bad is when he lets his faith get casual. When he lets his faith get commonplace and, and when he kind of starts to go through the motions. And I, I'm here to tell you today that casual faith is a casualty to the life that God wants you to live. If you take your faith casually, you will never live the life that God has set out for you, that the life has, God has destined for you. And that's what I think happens with Solomon. Clearly he sets off on the right foot with God, but do we know if he ends well? We don't. Why? Because the thing that God reminded him of over and over didn't go from his head to his heart. And his casual faith ended up being a casualty to the life that God had for him. And we're not sure if he ever overcame it. So no matter how great your gift is, no matter how great your, your, your strength is, even if it's from God, it must be guarded and protected, and we must completely and wholeheartedly follow God and his commandments and his teachings. We must wholeheartedly do that. And how do we fight against this pattern of casual faith? I think that the life of Solomon gives us the example, and even his own prayer his instruction from David, his instruction from God, his own prayer, over and over again, the way that we beat this casual faith is look to God, follow him wholeheartedly, obey his commands, and walk in uprightness of heart and integrity before him. And we have to personalize it. It can't be something that the nation does. It can't be something that the church does or a leadership does. It has to be something that if we want to see God working in our own lives, we have to do. If we want to see God do something great in our own lives, if we want to see the destiny of God, the purpose of God fulfilled in our specific own personal individual lives, we have to personalize this pattern of no matter the gift, I will guard it and walk in obedience to God. Even if Solomon faltered and failed, I will follow God. And I find that Solomon, again, I think his, his character is so interesting. And it's been kind of a fun challenge to, to dig up the life of Solomon and, and a message from it. 
because he doesn't have that repentant story where we can say, yes, come to Jesus. And, and it doesn't preach so easily. But I think that what can be found in the book of Ecclesiastes, much of, many biblical scholars believe that, that, that Solomon wrote this book at the end of his life, after his failings, after his, his shortcomings, after all of his wisdom and, and his prosperity. He writes the book of Ecclesiastes from the end of his life, looking back on all that God has done, looking back on all that he has accomplished himself. And here's what it says. I'm going to read to you a couple of different verses from it that, that summarize this 11 or 12 chapter book. Verse 3, Solomon, or chapter 3 and verse 11 says this. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So Solomon, through all of his wisdom, all of his learnings, all of the things that he's had happen to him in his life, Solomon looks back and realizes that we're living in an earthly space but our hearts are set to eternity's time. We're dealing with an eternal God that deals with us here on earth, but he doesn't dwell with us here on earth. There's a different place that he is and we one day will be. And he has set that eternity in our hearts. And through everything that I've experienced in my life, I have come to realize that though I'm living here on earth, eternity, a forever span of time, has been placed in my heart by this most high God. And even though he doesn't understand it completely, and none of us do, we're playing for eternity. We're living for eternity. Another thing that I find interesting about Solomon is he goes on to talk about all the things that he's done in his life. All the things that he's accomplished, all the things that he's gained, all the things that he's worked for. Chapter 2, verse 10 says this. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasures. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, I realized that everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And this book is filled it can be a little discouraging and depressing because Solomon goes on and on and on and these are some of the things he refers to as meaningless. The pleasures of life, riches, toil and the reward for it, the things we work for, advancement, even leveling up is meaningless. Even wisdom, he goes as far as to say that wisdom, the one thing that I asked of God, wisdom is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. How could this be that everything that Solomon had spent his life gaining and learning and losing, perhaps, everything that his life had known, he said to, him, to, to the, the listeners of whoever is going to read this, I denied myself no pleasure. I gained everything that I wanted, and the reward for my toil was there, and I found all of it to be meaningless, chasing after the wind. So what then? I believe the answer can be found in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. This is how he concludes it. This is how his book, at the end of his life, he finishes, or he's coming to the close of his life, looking back on everything that he has done, everything that he's accomplished, all he's been through. He's already written the book of Proverbs. He's written the book of Song of Songs. He's taught before kings. He's done all of these amazing things. Lived a wild, crazy, adventurous, unique life. And here is these last two verses. He summarizes everything 
Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. The conclusion, the point of my whole life. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. How crazy is that? That through the entire book of Proverbs, Song of Songs, all the learnings, the teachings that he has gained in years that he spent on earth. Even this last book that's so full of wisdom, although sad and, and, and confusing a little bit, maybe even depressing, this last book he concludes everything that I've learned can be concluded into one statement. One that I've been taught my entire life from the time before I had wisdom and my father David instructed me. From the, from the moment God gave me wisdom, he instructed me. From the message that he reminded me of constantly and consistently. The message that I prayed when we dedicated the temple. The message that I was reminded of as the second time that God appeared before me just before I faltered and made my big failure. Through all of the wisdom, advancement, success, everything that I have gained and had, all of it can be wrapped up in as either meaningless or this phrase, fear God, live in awe and reverence and respect of God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment and including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't take the most wise man on earth. It doesn't take a Solomon who has experienced all of life to try to internalize this phrase, fear God, live in awe of God, respect of God, and obey his commandments. It doesn't take a brain surgeon. It doesn't take a, a massively wise person to do that, to, to understand this. It's just fear God keep his commands. Not be afraid of God, but be in awe of God and what he is able to do. And realize that he is the judge. He is in control of your eternal destiny, your eternal soul. We are living in a, in a timely world, but we have eternity in our hearts. And he's the judge. So fear God and keep his commands. And over the course of Solomon's life, I bet he realized that that, that God didn't give these commands to bind him to commandments and laws that he must follow or else, but God gave him these commands, these decrees to follow so that Solomon could live free because God wanted what was best for him all along. And the same thing for us today. The duty of our, all of us, all of mankind, fear God and keep his commands. God doesn't give us laws, doesn't give us commandments so that we can be bound to them or chained to them or that we have to live a certain way. He does, us, does this to protect us, to set out a path for us, to say, this is the free way to live. Fear God, fear me. Live in awe of me and walk in my commandments. For God is the judge and will bring into judgment Every deed, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is one of my favorite phrases that we have as a culture today. Well, only God can judge me. I hear that often when dealing with a, a younger generation. Only God can judge me. And usually it's in reference to saying, doing something that uh, God or society or somebody labels as wrong. They say, only God can judge me, and, and so I'm going to do what I want anyways. 
And my response to this once, maybe it wasn't the most tactful deal, way to deal with it, but it's like, yeah, God can judge you, and, and he's going to. <laughs> God isn't an angry judge, but one day Solomon says that we are going to stand before God. We are on eternity's time. We all will stand before God, and he will say, did you walk before me faithfully? Did you obey my commands? And he will judge everything, whether it be good or evil. And of course, all of us have disobeyed God's commands. We've all transgressed and, and we've all sinned. But the beauty of the whole story of the Bible is that, yes, God is the judge, and he will judge everything that, that's happened, secret or not, evil or good. But for those of us that have accepted Jesus, Jesus, when we, or God, when we step into heaven and we step into eternity one day, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus, the man who never sinned, the one who never did anything wrong. And he doesn't see all of our past transgressions and all of our past failures and why God can look at David despite all of his failures. Look at him and say, that man was upright in integrity. It's because when we accept Jesus, when we repent of our sins, turn away and say, God, from here on out, I'm following you. We have a place in eternity with him. That's the message of Solomon's life. Fear God. Live in awe of our God, our Savior, and keep his commands. Whether you're smart or not, rich or not, successful or not, this is the duty of all mankind. The conclusion of Solomon's life, fear God, keep his commands. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day, this time that we get to spend together opening up your word. Thank you for this series, Kings and Prophets, that we get to look at so many of the Old Testament stories, people that you dealt with in regards to your nation, your people, Israel. God, I pray that you would help us each and every week, specifically even today, to learn from the life of all of these kings, all of these prophets, today specifically Solomon, the message of his life. Help us to all grasp that fact, no matter who we are, where we are, what we've gone through. Fear God, keep his commands. Let your word be written on our hearts. Help us to fall in love with your laws and realize that they're not meant to, to, to be an annoyance to us, but to help us to live freely. We're not bound to your law, but it's written on our hearts so that we might always walk in obedience to you. Thank you for it. And for those of us today that have accepted Jesus, we thank you, God, that when you look at us, when we stand before you one day, you won't see our sins and failures and shortcomings, but the finished work of Jesus, that we have a place with you in eternity. Help us to live with that eternal mindset and perspective here on this earth. In Jesus' name. And today, if there's anybody here that, that you're thinking, man, I don't know if I've accepted Jesus and I know that one day today I'm realizing that I know that I'm going to stand before God and I don't want him to see my, my failures and transgressions. I want him to see Jesus when he looks at me because Jesus has already paid for it. I want to accept that free gift and turn away from my life of sin, my life of, of, of shortcomings in the eyes of God. I want to give my life to Jesus so that when I appear before God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. If that's you today, on the count of three, will you just raise your hand so that we can pray with you? One, God loves you so much. So much so that he, when he didn't have to, when it wasn't required of him, sent his one and only son 
who to give his life for you too. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. We don't have a minute to waste. If you're even considering and saying yes to Jesus today, now is your time. Say yes. He loves you so much. Three. That's you. Will you just raise your hand? Father, we thank you today for all that Solomon went through, the simplicity of his final message. I pray that you'd help each and every one of us as we go to live that that message out, no matter who we are, what we've got going on in our life, to look to you in awe and walk in obedience all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we're dismissed today, we've been announcing the past couple of weeks that today is our KSO offering. We alluded to it uh, during our announcements that KSO is coming up in shortly under a month. And man, we're just so excited for it. We've got a number of kids and families already signed up to to attend, to help. And uh, we hope that um, if you have kids age three through fourth grade, you'll sign them up so we can prepare for them. We hope that if you're willing to serve, you'd do that. But today is our chance to, to, to give. Uh, and uh, the reason we take up an offering is because it takes money to, to provide meals and, and have a budget for games and, and all the exciting things that we get to do and decorations and all that stuff. Uh, but we do this completely free to the students. We, our goal is to see as many students as possible, as many kids as possible, come out and, and, and learn about Jesus and have a good time with us. So we don't want uh, $5 or $2 or whatever it may be to get in the way of somebody attending. So we do this event completely for free uh, for anybody in our church, anybody in our community or the surrounding areas or family members or whoever can attend in this age group. Uh, but of course, all events take money to put on. And so the only thing that we have to, to fund this event is what, what we as a church uh, are willing to, to give. And so I just want to take a moment in advance to say thank you so much, not just for KSO, but for all of the events for being such a generous church and, and, and sowing into our young people, as I alluded to at the beginning. We're so grateful that you're so generous and thoughtful and kind. Uh, and just, just a couple highlights. Last year, we saw uh, over 100 kids come out and, and had the gospel preach to them, have a good meal and play some games. And we're looking forward to that happening again this year and hopefully for even more students. It's going to be a great time and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, And so we hope that you'll consider giving. We hope that you'll consider signing kids or kids that you know up. And we hope that you'll consider serving as well. And just whatever way that you're able to do any one of those, we are so thankful and appreciative. Uh, In just a moment, the ushers can take up the offering. But as we do that, uh, why don't we take a look at last year's recap video uh, that tells us a little bit more about what happened. Thank you.